In episode 499 with Anita Bashan, we are talking all about grief and how to overcome grief, how to overcome all different adversities, building resilience, relationships, how to thrive within your relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited about this episode because Nita is such a light in the world. And if you've never heard of her, she is a world-renowned emotional health advocate and expert in the areas of grit and resilience. Now, she has spoken on many stages and is the host of the popular podcast, The Brave Table, which I have been on. And you should definitely check out that episode. I'll link to it in the show notes if you guys want to listen to Nita and I jam on her podcast. She is also a best-selling author of Emotional Grit, Eight Steps to Master Your Emotions, Transform Your Thoughts, and Change Your World. And she has been featured on Forbes, Entrepreneur, NBC, and more. Now, she sold her large million-dollar cosmetic dentistry practice, helping people transform smiles to spark inner greatness, as part of her own journey to becoming a leader in her field and a voice for immigrant women and women of color. Now, she traveled across 45 countries researching human behavior, ancient Eastern philosophies, and therapeutic psychology. Now, she pulled that learning along with other life lessons, overcoming multiple adversities, which included her being orphaned at a young age. This story is, wow, guys, you are going to want to stay for this story. Now, she survived an abusive marriage and extensive loss, which has all contributed to the powerful message of resilience and grit, which she is all about. And she has also founded several institutions, including the Global Grit Institute, a wellness education platform for optimizing emotional well-being for entrepreneurs. And she is the co-founder of the Dharma Coaching Institute, an organization helping train thousands to be the highest versions of themselves. Now, she lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and two gorgeous children. In her latest book, That Sucked, Now What? How to Embrace the Joy in Chaos and Find Magic in the Mess is out right now. And we're going to be talking all about that 
today and so much more. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 499. Now let's bring on the incredible Nita Bushan. Nita, welcome to the show, beautiful. I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, I love this. I had a green juice. That's exactly what I had. Yeah, because I was on my way to catch a flight from, where was I this morning? (laughs) New York and then to Vegas. It's a six-hour flight, believe it or not, in the winter. And yeah, so I grabbed my green juice for the morning and I grabbed my chai because they did have it at the airport. And then they had like a little protein shake. So that was like, that was the whole meal. Lots of liquids. I love it. (laughs) It was like a liquid fast diet this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, babe. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. I have been on your podcast, which was awesome. I've loved connecting with you and deepening our friendship, but I would love for you to take us back and how you got into the work that you're now doing. How did you go from dentistry to where you are now, author, podcaster? How did this all unfold for you? Oh my goodness. Yeah. We have to go way back, way, way back. Uh, so you know what? We'll start, we'll start at the middle and then we'll go back. But every year, you know, kind of around this time when we're starting the year new, it's always, it's always a remembrance of uh, the time where my life wasn't as powerful and rosy as it may look like now. I mean, there's still obviously it's ups and downs, but back in December of, you know, what was it? 2011, I would enter probably one of my I would say the biggest dark night of the soul. And that was kind of the entry into a whole transformation for myself. But on December 31st, I was, I literally hit my breaking point. And it was one of those things where you realize, okay, what I'm doing right now is definitely not in alignment. And I had to come to terms and actually say and speak out loud of the mess that I was actually living in, which was, you know, it was a complete lie because on the outside, as you said, I was a cosmetic dentist. I had this incredible practice. I wasn't even 30. I felt like I had all of these amazing trappings of success and that this girl who grew up and had a really rough upbringing had gone through so much and people on the outside would would say, oh my goodness, like I want to be just like her. And for me, I felt like I was such a fraud because I was living this big lie that I was holding in this back closet of mine for pretty much years at this point that I was in this abusive relationship and it was a toxic marriage that I was in and I was so deeply unhappy and I was I was really lost. And so it really took me, and it was almost as if my guides, and I'll speak a little bit more about that later, but my guides were telling me that this is this is not right at all. And so I had to, I literally got down on my knees. I was living in this really beautiful home at the time. And 
I was in my master bedroom and I'm looking at the mirror and I'm sobbing and I'm crying. And this is like the first time I'm, I'm allowing myself to fully let go. And I was looking in the mirror that day thinking like, how did I even get here? What is actually happening? And here's the now what, like I need to get out of this. And we're foreshadowing into, you know, my, my newest book that's up now what, but at that moment, I, I hit the biggest suck, which was accepting in my mind and in the mirror to myself that day that, Nita, you are in this terrible relationship. And, and yeah, what are you going to do about it? And so for me, it was taking that first big step of saying, okay, I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this suck right now. And then what does that look like? Well, I had two people that were really, really close to me that were just, you know, you know how you have your, your advocates, your, your, these two friends. And in this case, it was my, one of my childhood friends and then my brother, but they had always known, you know, anytime that somebody suspects something that's going on that's not really right. Like they know that it's not that it's not really you. So they kind of knew that I was in this situation, but never, you know, never really meddled in. But that day they were they they were part of now what I call my support posse because they were the ones that painted this new version and this new picture of me. And so in the days to follow, I would get a restraining order. I would leave this abusive marriage. I would stand before a court judge, but I would also realize that I hadn't really faced the demons of my past, which means that I hadn't really looked back into how I was, how I grew up and a lot of the things that I was actually hiding and shoving under a rug for a whole decade which was that I lost my mother, my brother, and my father, all within a span of five years. Uh, and this was before I was, this was before I was nineteen. And so it was all of these. It was you know all of these things that amounted to, well, a decade later than having to <laughs> look at that. Nitha in the mirror and say, okay, this is, this is it. This is what needed to break in order for you to really expand into this next evolution of yourself, which meant let the healing process begin. Wow. Okay. So wait, just back up for one sec. So you lost your mother, your father, and your brother over a five-year period before the age of 19. Yeah. Like I I can't like I can't even deal with like wow. Wow. And at the time you didn't process like you just kept on going. Yeah, so you know Melissa, it's interesting because my mom and to you know go back to this as a young kid I I became a caretaker at 10 years old. And so my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and she, you know, she battled it and, and with every protocol, she was able to go into remission, but then the cancer came back and it then spread into her lungs and her brain. 
And so fast forward, then at 16, she, you know, she transitioned and she lost that battle. And a year later, it was almost a year to the date, but a year later, my brother, who was 15 years old, and he always had asthma and it wasn't really bad, but, you know, I think my mom and my brother were very, very, very close and he was coming home from school and collapsed and they just, they tried to revive him three times and he transitioned. So that really took us and mind you, my parents are, you know, were immigrants. They came, my dad came from India. My mom came from the Philippines. So they were trying to give this American dream life to us. And of course it came with the struggle. It came with long working hours. It came with a lot of these things, but we were able to do piano and dance and ballet and, you know, all of the, the trappings that, you know, the dreams that, that our parents have for us. And so when my brother died suddenly and after my mom passed, I mean, he was the joy, he was the comedian, he was the funny man of the house. And so that really took us for a loop. And honestly, as a, as a teenager, you know, your teachers really want the best for you. And of course our family members came through. I have so much extended family. I I grew up in Chicago and so everyone was coming through. So in many ways, the community was really a huge support, but in terms of the healing, did we go to therapy? Yeah, of course we did. But were there other modalities of, you know, EMDR or even breath work, meditation? My dad grew up as a a practicing Hindu and he was very spiritual. And so my first real discovery or introduction to this was every Sunday when my mom would take us to church because she was Catholic and my dad would be meditating and chanting and taking his mala beads and chanting for three hours just on end. Um, (laughs) And when my mom was sick, I mean, that's when, you know, I knew his devotion. I knew he had a practice. And even when, when we were little, there's like, you know, very quick story, but there was a time when, uh, we would try, my brothers and I would try to take his mala beads as it was like a a game. And you know how sacred that is for somebody who's like in their full practice and bless my dad, he would be chanting, but then he would come run out, take it back, close the door and go back to his practice. And it just, it literally stuck in my mind because two years after my brother died, this was two years after my dad got the diagnosis that he had a stage four lung cancer. And so that really shook my belief in just everything. Uh, And there were so many complex emotions that were living all at the same time. But in my household, the way that my family members would say to me, Nita, we have enough going on here. You know, like my dad would always say, I'll give you something to cry about. So because there was so much other pressure going on, he didn't know how to really embrace or what even to do with those kinds of feelings. So what I took in my mind was, all right, well, these feelings have no place here and I'm only going to be validated by 
being a good girl, being a very, you know, uh, obedient girl. And I'm going to do the best that I can to support my dad. So I literally took on so much of the role of what my, my mom, you know, took on. And so, and that really informed me on, well, I've got to keep it up tight. I've got to button everything up and show up for the world and have this like performance way of relating to one another. And there's a concept that I talk about in my book called, you know, the emotional perfectionism. And, you know, there's, it, it, it's, it, it lends itself to a little bit of that toxic positivity that is very, you know, common for us as we dive into this work where we don't want to even bring on any feelings other than being positive. Well, guess what? That was all of my upbringing. And many times looking back, Melissa, I'm thinking, actually, that was, that was probably, I mean, it may not have been the healthiest coping mechanism. However, it got me through some of those darkest days. But yet, I mean, I went into full-blown healing into so many modalities after that night of December 31st, when I, when I actually hit that rock bottom and I had, you know, a decade's worth of, of healing and unprocessed and, you know, grieving emotions in that time during my childhood, I was, we were in survival mode. So a lot of the healing aspects that we would dive into now, that was just, that was a privilege for me to even, you know, have or even think of, we were thinking, okay, like, how are we going to put food on the table? Like there were years where I only, I worked one, not just one, not just two, but three jobs just to support because I didn't want anything else to be taken away from my brother and I, because we had already lost so many people. So there were definitely moments of struggle. Oh my gosh, babe. So where do you begin the healing process after that much grief? Where do you even begin? And with everything that you've been through, what has been the most supportive healing modalities or tools that you have experienced to really move past grief? Because, you know, everyone to different degrees experiences grief. And some people say time is the only thing that really heals. But what are your thoughts? Yeah. Oh, I love this. I love this question. I, I never thought I would, you know, <laughs> and I don't want to take that that claim, but I never thought I'd be this expert on grief. But here we are, and uh, which is which is why I kind of like saying that, you know, I, I I am the queen of of resilience and grit because it it definitely you know the resiliency and what I talk about in this new book that suck now what we I go over all of the healing modalities. I go over, you know, a lot of things that got me out of those sucky moments. Yet you're right. Where does one really start in the healing process? Because there was so much to unpack. And for me, it started with just fully breaking down, like dry heaving and crying and fully feeling all of the emotions that I had kept inside. And, you know, what we know about where, you know, the body keeps score and the body is, is keeping these repressed emotions. And I saw it manifest in disease in my family members, right? When the lungs give out and we know this, but it's a sign that there was, there was, 
grief attached to that. And so that's a place where that was going to manifest. And, and for me, I would literally schedule time in my day in the morning. And I remember vividly when I was, there was a time where I was, I didn't want to let anybody in to what was really going on, especially in the first few days, because I had a practice. I had about 10 people working under me at two different doctors, you know, assistants. Think of, you know, your dental office basically. And that's what I had. And I remember, you know, I had all of my, like literally my brother and my friend helped me pack up as much as we could. And we stuffed it in my SUV. And there I go, you know, two days later after the new year into my office, trying to greet everyone. And I just remember, wow, I have, I feel like I need to tell, I need to tell my team, but I was like, I don't know, it's too soon. And, and I just remember thinking like, can I, should I just keep this in? Because I, I don't know if it's the right time. And it was just so many perplexed, confusing emotions where I couldn't even go into a room without crying. It was just waterworks for those first few weeks because that was so many years of of repressed emotions. And, and yes, I went to therapy as a child, but it's so different when you are expected to go because people are worried that you're going to do something to yourself as well. So they're doing it to check the box versus you saying, I actually need support and I cannot do this alone. And so that's the second thing is saying yes to support in all of the ways. And actually when I went into my office that day, you know, with these complex feelings, I said, actually, you know what, I'm going to just be vulnerable and I don't care if everyone leaves me today. We'll, we'll rebuild. And so what I did was I took, I I told everyone and we have a little, we had a PA in the office, which means like it was a little microphone and it kind of tells everybody to like stop what they're doing and come into the, the lunchroom, the little kitchen that we had. So imagine there's patients in the chair with their little suction. And I was just crying through my mask and, you know, my glasses and my little white coat. And I'm like dripping in sweat, like underneath my armpits. But I take everybody and I said, I need to talk to you and this cannot wait. I need to share something. And I'm still literally in my gloves and I just couldn't hold it anymore. And I just let it out. And I said, I need your support. I'm going through the toughest time right now. And this is what is happening. And so in that moment of sharing, it felt like thousands of bricks were off of my shoulders because imagine somebody just growing up with this emotional perfectionism, thinking that, oh, I got to be a certain way all the time. I've got to be always smiling and I can't feel those feels or I'm really positive because people look at me in this way and they expect me to be a certain way, right? And it was just like, nope, we're throwing that completely out of range. We're, thro- we're, we're tossing it out completely and we're just allowing it all to be. And that's what fully shifted because then from there, it seemed like angels in the form of guides and support and emails and referrals. And so that's how I dove into somatic work. That's how I dove into EMDR. That's how I dove into psychedelics, plant medicine. I mean, I dove super deep into different kinds of chanting meditations, nanjapa. I went back to the roots. I spent so much time in different parts of India and Bali and 
it ended up being a 45 country journey of getting back to myself and spending time of just really healing, honestly, that little girl that had to grow up so fast. Mm, I love this share so much. Thank you. And there's not a one size fits all with how to move past grief or how to heal grief. It's a journey and it's a commitment and it starts with expressing that we need support. And you mentioned something at the very start of this, and that was your support posse. And it's so important that we have people around us that we can talk to or that we trust. And it doesn't mean you need 15 people. It could be one. And it's a matter of just, and and that could be a friend or it could be a professional. Like it doesn't have to be a certain type of person, but having support is so powerful. And I know for me personally, as soon as I have voiced something like you said, bricks feel like they've been lifted off my shoulders by simply just voicing. That's like half of the the battle. And we're taught to just suppress and push down and sweep things under the carpet. But that is never a good idea, ever a good idea. And so everyone listening, I want to encourage you, if there is something within you that is bothering you to confide in a friend or a or a professional and express how you're feeling and what's going on for you because half of that weight will be lifted off your shoulders and then you keep showing up and you keep doing the work and you try all the different modalities and the meditations and the chants and the semantic body work. You do everything. You do it all. You dance, you sing, you, you literally try everything and the bricks will just get lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. Oh, Yes. I mean, it's, it, it is such a metaphor for how, and it's, you know, it's one of the, the concepts that I talk about in the book of building your bounce factor. Because if we really think about this idea of resilience, when I was growing up, my father always said, Nita, you're strong, you're resilient. And of course, I was such a daddy's girl growing up. I'm like, okay, yes, yes, I am. And then fast forward, fast forward a decade later when he, when I would lose him, I hit my tipping point and I hit my tipping point because it felt like this darkness and this cloud of grief and just uncertainty and that all of this stuff was 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 just sitting over my head and i'm like i have to go away i have to change my environment i have to i cannot be here anymore i couldn't go away for college i had to you know stay and and really take care and be that matriarch for my family so I remember that this overwhelming feeling of really speaking to 
a few of my friends who were in school with me and I was in college at the time because I was 19 and it said, Nita, why don't you just go, go away, go, go, go and apply for that study abroad program. I'm like, there's no way my extended family members, this was, this was my grandmother and my aunt who really stepped in to take care of us. They're like, there's no way that my, that they're ever going to let me go to, to Italy. And so, you know, I, I, it took some convincing, but a year later I found myself on a plane and I found myself in Rome, Italy, doing a semester abroad. It was like a, a summer study abroad. But I remember being there in the sweltering heat of June and finally getting off and saying, finally getting off the plane and saying, oh my God, what it like, what is this world? Where am I? And and I just felt so much lighter. And it was almost as if I was for the very, very, very first time, just this kid that could play and that could reinvent herself in this completely new environment and meet other people from all different walks of life. Because in my mind, I thought, wow, I really have it bad. Like I, this, this really sucks. And I was stuck in that pity. I was stuck in this like victim mode. And it's interesting because there's four things that came out of this experience to Italy. And it's really what caused this evolution of what I now talk about in the book to help thousands of others bounce back after setbacks and, you know, feel to heal their emotions, kind of like what we were talking about. But it starts with making peace with your upbringing. And as I mentioned, when we started this conversation, the two people around me that were there during that December 31st, they were one of my best friends and my brother. And like we're talking about, all we need is that one or two people because that can be somebody that you grew up with. It can be somebody that maybe now is in your current environment, which is that step number two or pillar number two of your bounce factor. And many times, you know, especially as mothers, when we are in the throes of motherhood and life happens, something happens, we get sick, somebody gets a diagnosis, like these are all life happenings. It's not just my story. It's everyone that's listening to, you know, to this conversation. And, you know, in your lives, there's, it resonates in terms of finding that one or two core support people. And it could even be listening to this podcast on a daily or weekly basis even. But for me, even in the whispers of Nitha, you should actually change your environment and head to Rome, Italy and see what that European life is all about. And I'm like, there's no way I'll ever get to go. But those whispers plant seeds and those seeds then become our thoughts. And then our thoughts then become the things that we take action on in our lives. And so with step one, we have reconciling our upbringing. And many times it can look like making peace with the childhood that we didn't have. It can look like perhaps understanding that maybe you were treated differently from your brother or your sister or because you were the oldest. And it could maybe even come from just the fact that you were raised and you had 
immigrant parents and their value systems are so different than your value systems. And then as we get into the second pillar, which is our good environment or the environment that is exposing us to good stress, for me, it was heading out to, to Europe. I mean, for you, it could look completely different. It could look like maybe just up-leveling your surroundings. Maybe it's starting to read different books. And this is where I started to, I was taking this Italian philosophies class and they were talking about this concept called stoicism. And they talked about Marcus Aurelius and this concept called, you know, amor fati. And amor fati is the love of one's fate. And at 20 years old, I'm learning about this amor fati because at this time I'm like, I don't want to share anything with anybody. I'm, you know, I was, I was young. All I wanted to do was fit into this program. And when those questions came up of, Hey, okay, what, what is your, what do your parents do? Or where do you live? What's your relationship with your parents? I would totally shy away and I would become a recluse because I did not want to go into the heaviness. I did not want to go into the darkness of what that conversation would bring. But because I was able to change my environment, I was able to take some of those questions and then learn how to be a really good question asker and (laughs) deflect those questions and in turn ask other people, uh, you know, what their relationships were like. And in fact, that was so cathartic in my healing process because here I am starting to then take that perspective that we are all completely similar and I wasn't feeling so bad about myself. It was instead of, you know, why me in this situation? It was like, why, why not me? And then, you know, so we get into, you know, this third pillar, which is the emotional capacity to, to feel. And that trip to Europe, I was, this was the first time that I'm actually then feeling all of these feelings because I have the space to do this. I might not have had all of the tools yet, but I had the space to do it, right? Same thing a decade later during my divorce and the whole healing journey, which really took about 10 years I started to dive into all of these modalities, but we have to give ourselves space to feel those feelings. And whether it's, you know, if it's not going to be at that time, and if we're still going to shove it under a rug and suppress it and numb it because we've got to go to the next thing or we're too busy, it's going to come up in different ways. It might be a physical situation or the same kind of pattern and the same people that you are attracting will be coming into your life to tell you more about like, hey, slow down for a second. But giving yourself permission instead of judging the feelings that come up, because even when I was in Italy, there were so much guilt about me living for myself because I'm like, how could I leave my brother? We had just lost my mom, my dad, and my brother, and how could I leave my youngest brother with my grandmother? Like there was so much of that guilt running in my mind, but not judging those feelings, just welcoming them. And then finally, the fourth aspect of building, you know, that bounce factor and really strengthening that is your radical self-awareness, your ability to even bring up when 
things feel out of alignment. Your ability to bring up when you're like, actually, this is not feeling good anymore. This relationship, this thing that I'm doing no longer feels in alignment and to actually be able to speak truth to that. And and like we're talking about, to even articulate it and say it out loud. Wow, babe. Wow. Your book, amazing. I'm so excited to dive deeper into it, but that those bounce backs are, are awesome and really inspiring. How do we have these uncomfortable conversations with people? Because avoiding these difficult or uncomfortable conversations is never a good idea. But how do we lean into them during these times of challenge or adversity? Like how do we lean into them and how do we move past challenges then within our relationships? Because our relationships are everything. But how do we have these difficult conversations and then how do we move past these challenging times? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is the biggest skill set we can pass on and we can actually build and cultivate that muscle of growing. And just like anything else, if we want to you know, get better with our resistance training and build more strength, well, what are we going to do? We're going to start lifting heavy weights, but are we going to lift that, you know, 30 kg dumbbell or, you know, 30 pound dumbbell on the very first day? Probably not. Probably not. And, and, and are we going to see progress if we're going to be continuing to use the same kinds of weights every single day? Maybe. But the thing is, is we've got to take those small steps and we have to practice sucking at having those conversations, kind of like sucking, going to the gym, sucking, working out. We know that we don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable. Yet when it's uncomfortable, it, it, it stretches us. It expands our capacity to not only feel, but it also expands our capacity of, of what is possible. Recently, I was watching, and you'll appreciate this, Melissa, I don't know if you and in your family have seen the movie Turning Red. So no, it's, I haven't seen it. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. And, and you know, with our kids, my, my daughter's 18 months now, actually 19 months. And, and I think yours will really love it too. Bambi will really love it. But Inari's four. And so it's about a, a little girl. It's a Pixar movie. I'm pretty, yeah, it's a Pixar movie. And it's about a little girl and it's up for all of these awards, by the way, but it just came out and she has to reconcile with her emotions. And she comes from this family where they are taught this emotional perfectionism, where the mother does not feel any feelings, any extreme emotions. It's got to be completely, you know, stoic. And her aunts are all like this. And her grandmother, the matriarch of the family, and the grandmother's mother, they are all like this. And so what happens is when the little girl, her name's Maylin, when the little girl, Maylin, starts to get really excited or starts to cry and, and have a dry weave, you know, uh, cry or, or 
hysterically laugh or get really angry and mad, she turns into a red panda and the biggest red panda you'd ever seen. And so they have this like full moon ceremony. I mean, it's such a great movie, but to try to cast this spell from out of the daughter so that she doesn't feel this way. But they show in the movie that literally that part of her, she learns to love, of course, this, this, this red panda because it's so fun and it's fluffy and it's furry and it's great. But because of her ancestors and her family and her upbringing and what she's told, she's told to cast that out, that we're not supposed to feel <laughs> these feelings. And so, uh, so this, so turning red is such a beautiful example of, well, Mei Lin had to actually stand up to her mom. Not only that, and I don't want to give the rest of it away, um, but she also had to stand up to her grandmother and, and really speak her truth. And it's just such a, I mean, anybody who has kids or doesn't have kids, uh, I mean, it's, it's such a great reparenting movie. And I have a lot of these reparenting ourselves or, or healing our inner child. I've I collected those. Um, another great one that you all can have is, is the inside out. And that's such a beautiful one to teach around emotional resiliency. It's so beautiful because sadness can't live without joy and, uh, and you know, anger. It has to be there as well, right? Because it teaches us on of the contrast of our emotions. It's a, another brilliant movie. Um, but in terms of speaking our truth, well, why are we so afraid to even share our truth? And the bottom line is we all want to belong. We all want to feel that love and we don't want to feel rejected, which is why we do everything in our power to avoid confrontation. And so much so now that, you know, we can ghost on texts. We don't have to reply back. We don't have to actually do a face-to-face -face phone call. And this is where we're losing sight of going deep in our friendships and, and to expand the possibility of what is actually, what you're actually capable of in your own growth but also the capacity of how deep our relationships can go. And I know, you know, Melissa, you talk about this in the Holy Mama program around even just in your love relationships. But what I'm talking about is in all of our interpersonal relationships, our friendships, our girl friendships, our relationships with our, our family members, our closest people to us, because yeah, they are the ones that are going to trigger us the most but also being able to say, hey, this is what I need from you in this season of life right now. I can't be as good of a friend right now because I need to focus time on my kids, but I love you so much and I still want us to have our girlfriend time or I still want us to have our mother-daughter time or I still want us to have our, our sibling time, but I just, I, I don't know how much I can give for myself. And and you're actually inviting the other person to, and when you actually say, because I want you to be a great sibling for me, or I want us to have a better relationship, to be able to vulnerably say what's really on our mind, because you know we're not saying, hey, you know, you don't respond to my calls right away. It's it's actually, hey, love, like when I'm calling, this is the time that I have, but I'd really love it if you could pick up because. I really want to deepen our connection. And 
here's my window. So being able to share our vulnerability and what we want as an outcome is one of the greatest gifts that we can start giving ourselves. But the, the reason why we shy, shy away from it is because we're not, we don't know how to really do that, how to form agreements and how to make the ask and the invitation because it's scary and because it takes work. It takes practice. We're not going to be good at it, which is why then we kind of, you know, we, we retreat and we go solo and we say, okay, I'm just going to internalize it and I can do this on my own. But really that the greatest gift out of, you know, out of what we can do. And it's, I talk about quite a few of these concepts, uh, in part three of the book where we actually have, I have the accompanying workbook. So when you actually order the book, you get the 44 page color, colored workbook as well. And I have a whole exercise that goes into practicing having these difficult conversations. And there's five steps to it. And of course, I can share them with you here. Um, But it's a... Did you want me to go through it? Yeah? Okay. Please go, babe. Okay. So the first step when we're actually having or wanting to present a courageous conversation, the first step is... You want to be able to state the facts. So I know we're feeling our emotions. Obviously, we want it to be rooted in, in what we're feeling and really embodying our feelings and saying, staying truth to the feelings, but we don't want to start there. So we want to start by with what the facts are. Oh, I, I've noticed that, you know, when you're talking to a team member, you can say, Hey, I've noticed that the last few times you've been late on these deadlines. Is is this a good time to talk about this? Can we actually talk about this? So it's also setting the tone for asking for permission to go into this conversation. So state the facts, but ask for permission to go there. Um, Another example of this could be, you know, I've noticed that you, it seems as though that every time we get into a conversation about this one particular topic, finances or, uh, spending more girl time together, it seems like, I don't know, I, I can't get, we're, you're not as open as you usually are and you list, you know, the facts there, right? Or I've noticed X, Y, and Z. You can actually keep it very simple and straightforward. And so then we get into, after asking them for permission, then step three is, well, this is how it makes me feel. This is how it makes me feel. It's not about them. You always make me feel like this, or you make me, you know, feel X way. Nobody can make you feel anything, right? We have to take responsibility, personal responsibility for our own mess in a situation and how we are showing up, right? So the biggest thing that we can do is just speak from where that is coming from and and that's your truth. And this is the hard part. So if you're having issues with this, what I recommend is to actually write the statement down. I feel angry. I feel frustrated. I feel like I've been abandoned and that wound is coming up from X. Or I feel like I am going to get betrayed again because the last time I trusted a really good friend, I got burned. And so 
we're experiencing our feelings, but we're sharing them because this is, nobody can invalidate what you're feeling. And this is a big thing. And so this is where we have the journal entries for you to actually practice that. And so the next step then after that, so that's like the culmination, but step four is ask for an agreement, ask for an agreement. So can we come up with an agreement to this? I'd love to see if we can get something on the calendar once a month because I really want to spend time with you. Or how about we schedule that walk that we've been wanting to schedule so that we can just clear the air and be in each other's energy and each other's presence? I would really love that. Does that sound good to you? So ask, make your agreement, but make that offer and that question and see if you can come to an agreement. And now this is the hard thing. If the other person, because sometimes in stating our our needs, this can also offend somebody else. This can also trigger things. And if there are things coming up on the other side, this is not your responsibility. You can't control the way somebody else responds to your requests. What you can do is you can just say, you know what? I'd love for us to circle back another time. Is that okay with you? So again, still ending with an agreement. Mm, I love that. I love that. And this requires you to be vulnerable and to open your heart and to lean in and to open wide, as I say, and yeah, to just show up in your heart space and there's only going to be good that comes out of it. And whether that person's like, yes, I want to deepen our friendship too. Great. And maybe they're like, no, I can't offer any more. Also great. You've got clarity and you can both move forward. And I think it's really important as well. We don't take someone else's stuff personally. You know, we we don't actually know what's going on for everybody. We don't know. Like they might not have the capacity to give any more in the friendship. And that's okay. Everything is unfolding the way that it's supposed to. And I always am such a big believer that if one friendship is dissolving it's creating space for something even better around the corner. And when we're in it, we might not see it and we can feel disappointed and down and frustrated and like we can get all in our head about it and remember that the universe is always supporting us and maybe moving that friendship to the side so that another one can really take front and center. Isn't that so amazing though, when you know that in some of your friendships or uh, relationships that when there is that break, that's an opportunity for the greatest growth and expansion of yourself. But also like you're saying, they may purge themselves out of your life. And that's, that's even, that, that can be the greatest blessing. And so I think many times we try to hold on to what was 
either because of familiarity, because they were there for you at a certain time. And and we do this even with our, our, you know, some of our relatives as well. And I know that even in my upbringing growing up, it was like blood is thicker than water, you know? And, and so, you know, nothing should leave this, this family unit. But if you're losing everyone around you, course, you're going to have to share with other people. And that's why I'm such a big advocate of creating a soul support squad because your posse in terms of your growth, your expansion. But I remember even at 16 years old, like I was the one bringing people together and, you know, there were friends from school bringing their guitar, singing to my mom while she was sick. We were playing board games, but then we're also making food and connecting. And literally, I mean, from those early days to even, you know, in every single evolution, soul support posses have been such a big, a huge uh, evolution for me because there are people that come into your life for specific seasons. And I talk about this in part two of the book where when we are starting to either recreate our current environment and maybe we're purging away some of the old friendships and you know the, the the people that maybe you hung out with in your grade school or high school or and and they're not necessarily your people anymore because you have different ideas you're you're growing differently you're expanding you're focusing on your healing so you want to have different conversations you want to ask different questions because you're also leaning into this curiosity you're not staying in that suck you're climbing out and in order for us to climb out to fly forward, which is what I talk about in part three of the book, we have to essentially say yes to this like wobbly phase of ours where we're not going to be perfect in our step. We're still going to kind of sometimes feel reserved and maybe even feel skeptical, but we're also on the other side going to feel excited and curious. And that's where that's where the juice comes out. That's where we're starting to recreate or or expand and maybe connect to that next version of ourselves that's waiting for us to evolve out of some of these friendships so that we can make space for the new ones to enter. Mm, yes. Oh, I love this so much. Now, I would love to hear if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Besides your books, let's pretend they're already in the curriculum because they absolutely should be. What is one book that you would choose? Oh, outside of my books. Outside of your books. Ah, yes. Oh, without a doubt, The Power of Intention by Wayne Dyer. Mm. So good. Yes. And your books for sure. Oh my goodness. And having that wisdom and that knowledge so early on, just life-changing. Oh, fully, fully life-changing. I think that, you know, uh, Wayne Dyer's book, The Power of Intention, it was one of the very first books I read shortly after getting out of my divorce. And it really informed me to start going back to, because he talks a lot about his Nanjapa 
meditations. And so that really cultivated my love for the chanting meditations, the the mindfulness that was a big part of my healing to really sit in the discomfort of the feelings that I was so used to and it was so easy for me to avoid because I would just go into my accolades of doing and achieving and achieving and achieving and wanting to do more and more and distract myself and bury. But with that book, I was able to no, actually sit in that discomfort and practice the sitting in and practice when you're in, and I even, you know, do this in the book, but we, there's a, there's a part where I go into how do you actually create your own emotional release practice? And I have a whole process where when you're feeling that discomfort, well, what do you do with it? (laughs) Cause most of us, it's so easy. Well, we pick up the phone, we just shift our dopamine. But what I love to do is to actually embrace the suck. Put your hand over your heart. Allow yourself to be felt, to connect back to yourself versus looking elsewhere for that distraction and to really tune inward and notice where you're actually holding it in your body. Are you one that normally holds tension and anxiety and overwhelm and feelings of burnout, do you hold that in your chest? Or do you notice that maybe your tummy starts to ache? Or do you notice that you have these tension headaches because you're constantly in your head judging the next thing that you're doing? Or maybe you notice that your your throat kind of constricts because you're not fully expressing in the way that you want to express. And so this is a really quick opportunity and all you need is one or two minutes, but to really just sit in and embrace the sock and notice where we're feeling a little bit of that discomfort and and feel it, feel it move through the body. Mm, Yes. It's so important and it needs to be released. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. I love that. You have done so much and you still are doing so much with your healing journey, with, you know, the meditations and all of these things. I would love to hear, talk us through your day. Talk us through your little rituals, your routines, your habits from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. You've got two kids, you've got businesses, you're now married to your soulmate you are in a completely different career to what you were doing before. It's almost like you have had a past life and then this life. You've had a previous marriage, you were a dentist, and now you've got this new marriage, two beautiful kids, and a career that you love and adore. How do you stay on your game? What are all the rituals and routines and things that you do? Yeah, so... I have a practice that I talk about in the book called turn out the lights and turning out the lights because it's hard when you have not just one, but, but two, and they're both toddlers. And I think pre kids, I had a morning routine that was like 90 minutes and I'm like, there is no way absolutely no way. I would be lucky if I can get 10 minutes in every day. 
But my sacred rituals daily that I'll do with the kids, and this is the you know, turn out the lights is a practice that I use before bedtime. So before bedtime, when we all need to unwind, where the daily stressors all have just kind of the meltdowns, the wigglies, the shakes, and we're tired. And so uh, uh, it's a, it's an easy practice to do, but it basically starts with just a few seconds even, you know, like 10 or 20 seconds of getting all of us. And it's just usually, you know, me and the kids, but to close our eyes. And sometimes we'll do this thing where we'll, you know, we'll do legs up the wall and the kids love that because then, you know, they're, I I say that the, their spider legs go up the wall. So their legs go up the wall, but they're lying back and we're just tuning in and we're counting for five. If we make it for five, great. If not great, if we just got that one in great, but that's our that's our mode to turn out the lights. And we actually end with, you know, we'll breathe in three times, but on the exhale, we'll buzz out. So this is how, you know, you know, I have toddlers, but so I'll breathe in. So we're buzzing. Uh, we're buzzing like a little bee to get all the wigglies out and to tune in so that we can hear our heart vibrate. And so it's just a really fun exercise to do to kind of relax them, but it's also to relax me. So that's been a nighttime routine before I put the kids down. And many times either it's myself or Ajit, or, you know, sometimes we'll have support, but usually on a given day, every day is very early. So the kids wake up at around five and we will, and that's so early. I mean, sleeping in late is like 6.30 in the morning. And I'm like, I am so excited if we can <laughs> cuddle in bed by 7, 7 a.m. That's, that's a late day for us. And so, and you know this, mama. And so, uh, but usually it's between five and six. And, and does mama really want to get out of bed at five? Still, like I'm not part of the 5 a.m. wake up club. I just am not, am not, am not. And I'm trying so hard. My son will sleep in a little bit, but my daughter is just like, she just wakes up so early. So, uh, so yeah, so I've reframed that into, all right, we're going to do, we do books in the morning. So this is our quiet time of books, but then we'll do yoga. And so now she'll get the yoga mat and you know, it doesn't matter. One of them will have a meltdown either one of the days, but this has become a routine. So she'll set up her little yoga mat and she'll set up mine and we'll play it. Uh, you know, uh, like it's a, usually a 10 minute practice. Do we ever get through all the 10 minutes? Nope. Uh, but can we maybe get, you know, can mama just do a little like Shavasana pose (laughs) to pretend that I was doing something? Sure. Um, and, and maybe are there poses that I'm like stretching my kinks out because that's just the way that the day was going to go. Or we'll do a little like acro yoga where I'll fly them up in the air if we need to have the wigglies come out in the morning. But that practice is usually like five to 10 minutes, but then I'll go ahead and I'll make my chai and I'll make my chai and I'll play music. We have a fun dance morning playlist uh, it consists currently right now of cats and boots. They have the most ridiculous songs it's on, you know, Spotify, but, uh, and, and they, the kids are really loving Taylor Swift right now. So it's like such a thing. Um, and so, 
So we'll do that, but I'll make my chai. And my chai, honestly, once the kids are zoned into their music, I can actually tune in. And that is my ritual. And I, you know, I have this, I have every day it kind of starts out with, I'll take the ginger and I'll take the cardamom and whatever else I'm feeling for that morning. But usually it's like the mortar and the pestle. I'm going to grind up all of those, uh, you know, those ingredients and I'll put it in the, and, you know, start to steep the boiling water. But in that moment, the smelling the aroma of the ingredients, the crushing, this is kind of like my sanctuary. And sometimes my husband gets up before me because, you know, I'm not really the 5 a.m. thing I can't do. And so he'll try to make my chai and I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is like my sacred time for myself because I let the ginger steep. I let it boil. I sit there. I inhale it. I just get a whiff of it and I just let it soak through my body. And the kids could be screaming, they could be dancing, they could be jumping because now we have like all of these pillows that um, they love and it's kind of like their little play area in the living room, which is close to our kitchen. So that's kind of our morning. We have dance routine and, and you know, uh, and my chai routine. And then we get the kids ready for either the playhouse. And usually my son goes to the playhouse and my, my daughter, we have our nanny that comes and then it'll get into the work day. So in my work day, I usually start with my own little ritual because that's the one time that I do get my ritual. So if there's, you know, a 10 minute meditation or just connection to myself where I play three songs, three songs is usually about, you know, nine minutes, either I'm moving my body or I'm fully connecting with my eyes closed and I light a candle for myself. And, you know, that candle for me is just like a, it's just a way to know that my space is being infused with whatever my intention is for that day or for the working period of a few hours. And, and that's, and those are really, yeah, those are all of my rituals. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I love that you take that time for you when you begin your work day, because I definitely don't. I go straight into work. I'm like, she's with her nanny and I'm like, sit down. I'm like, right, let's do this laser focus. But just taking a moment to take a few deep breaths or to listen to a song and have a dance or light a candle, such beautiful little acts of self-love and self-care. So you've definitely inspired me with that. Well, here's the thing though, because when I don't do it, I feel like I am so flustered and I'm so anxious and it's just a grounding thing for me. And actually in the book, I have a whole section in when we're when we're magnifying in our life, if this is stage three of flying forward, I have a whole list of practices and rituals that you can grab for yourself, but it depends on the season and stage of life that we're in because we might get seasons and stages like the stage that I'm in right now, talking to lots of people and on planes and things like that, where you're not going to have the grounding techniques. And you're going to really have to lean on just one or two of those things. So for me right now, it's just like, all right, I brought my journal on the plane and that's what I'm going to do. And that's my process. And if I can get one song in for myself to just like shake and move or just connect back to me, great. But 
I didn't bring my candle this time, right? So I'm not going to judge myself on having such a strict routine and to go easy on it, kind of like how I share in even the workbook, because many times we get so caught up in the details of what we didn't do on a day-to-day basis. And instead of just celebrating, well, the one thing that we could do, like, yay, I was able to walk 5,000 steps because I was walking through an airport today, right? So great. You know, celebrating those wins uh, is is a big is a big thing. And that I take you through. It's a three-step process in inside of, of the book as well. Mm, amazing, babe. Amazing. It's the little wins, especially as a mama and as a working mama. It's the little wins that really make such a difference. And we can't skip over them and we need to celebrate them. So I love that. Now I've got three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. (laughs) What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Ooh, take a bath. That is just that is the most nourishing, that is the most delicious thing that you can do for yourself. Even just drawing the bath can be a sacred practice. And I think that there's a lot of things that we, you know, we can learn so much about the Japanese and in their culture, it's having reverence for the small things and having reverence or this this deep devotion and respect for all of the ways we care for ourselves. So it can look like when we're drawing a bath, we know the energetic properties of water. We know that water is soothing. We know that water is healing. We know that water is cleansing. And when we're actually being able to draw a bath, we're being able to also connect back to ourselves and 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 also relish in you know the warmth there as well. And so, oh, take a bath. And it's so good for you as well. Get some Epsom salt in there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So beautiful and healing on so many different levels. For the body, the mind, and the soul, it's just the best. Okay. What is one thing that we can do today for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Oh, yes. Celebrating our wins. If we focus on lack, we're going to be shown lack. If we focus even on the small steps and maybe you're a new mama and you have, you're right now, you don't have a lot of space for you, but you're working on that wealth. You want to, you still have desires, you still have goals, you still have ambitions because that's who you are. You still have creative gifts in you. Celebrate the things that are in front of you. Celebrate the things that you are doing because slowly and steadily, those small incremental changes, those small compounding habits with consistency, they built up and they kind of, they, they ha- there's like a memory bank there and that memory bank grows and grows and grows. And guess what? That's where you start to see the fruits of your labor and you start to see what you've manifested. You start to see because you're focusing on all of the goodness in your life, that goodness is going to keep on pouring and getting you closer and closer to what you're starting to call in and what you really want to call in to your life. So celebrate yeah. your wins. Yes, I love that. I love it. No matter how big or small that they are, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. Celebrate everything. You know, someone said to me the other day, I love that you always celebrate birthdays. And I'm like, 
why would you not celebrate your birthday or your children's birthday or your partner's birthday? Like literally celebrate everything, everything, because life is so precious. So true. It's so true. Yeah. Okay. Last rapid fire. What is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Oh, yes. Well, first, if we want more love in our lives, we've got we've to love ourselves. It starts with us. So if we are, you know, calling in more of that romantic love with our partner, first, are we making the space for that? That's number one. And then number two, how are we treating ourselves as well? Are you actually taking that bath? Are you actually you know, dressing up and, and, and making yourself feel and look good and doing your hair, maybe putting on some gloss, curling your eyelashes or or whatever that makes you feel really good. And then doing that also with your partner, not getting them dolled up and dressed up, but also looking Mm -hmm. them and being loving with them. But it, it really just starts with us. How are we treating ourselves? And that's the same token of, are we giving ourselves grace? Are we giving ourselves compassion? It's that same loving tenderness that we then get to spill over into our, our co-pilots, our partners. Yeah, absolutely. This has been so amazing. Your book is incredible. Is there anything else that you want to share or any last parting words of wisdom that you'd love to share? Oh, yeah. Well, so, I mean, that's like now what this was really birthed because of motherhood. And while I've been through many seasons and stages of, of life, and, you know, I'm known also as the queen of reinvention. And I hope that, you know, you listeners kind of take away with whatever setback or challenge or feeling in the stuck place that you may be, whether it's a new identity shift because of motherhood or you want to become a mom and it's just not going in the time frame that you are desiring. These are all that suck now what moments. And I wrote this book, well, even with this title as edgy as it is, it's not this sucks now what? It's that sucked. Now what? And it's the implication that whatever already happened, that wasn't in our control. It already happened. So we can acknowledge the fact that it sucked. We can bring awareness to the fact that it sucked, but now we actually get to draw a new reality, which is now what? All right. Well, and we can move forward and, and, and not just move forward and move on, but fly forward which is all part three of the book. So when you ha- when you get the book, go to thatsuckednowwhat.com. You can also get your hands on this 44-page digital guidebook that takes you through your healing journey, that gives you that more connection with yourself, that goes into so many different prompts, and it becomes your healing tool guide. And you can do this with friends. You can do this with family members. You can do this with your partner. I've done this with my kid, with my four-year-old right now. You can do this with your children. And I also have for free, when you buy the book, you also get a five-day healing practice. And it starts with, it's your, it's my five for, my fly forward healing practice. So it starts with healing our most precious commodity, which is our relationships. 
and it starts and ends with you. And so we end on day five, coming back and returning back to ourselves. Oh, beautiful, babe. And we'll link to all of this in the show notes. It's amazing. I am so excited to get my hands on that and on the workbook as well. I didn't know about the workbook, which is super exciting. So thank you so much for birthing this into the world. Thank you for all the incredible work that you do, your books, your programs, your offerings, everything that you gift to the world. You are helping and you are serving and you are supporting so many people and you do it with so much love and grace and the most beautiful smile on your face. So thank you. And I want to know how can I give back and how can I serve you and and how can the listeners serve you today? Oh my goodness. Go and do yourself a favor. Get this book for a friend. We have partnered up with so many organizations for people in need, people like me who didn't have guidance because I lost my family before I was 19. So we've partnered up with domestic violence shelters. We've partnered up with even uh, prisons. We've partnered up with folks who are in the foster care system in the U.S. that uh, at the age of 18, they stop all support. At the age of 18, they stop all support. And these are kids who have grown up in the foster care system. So I wanted to, you know, invite everyone that they, if they're going through their own suck, get it for yourself, but then order this book for somebody else and maybe give it back to one of these organizations. I have it all listed on that suckednowwhat.com forward slash resources. If you wanted to pay it forward and get a book to gift or a few books to gift to one of our partner organizations as well, because they would so love the capacity to build audacious resilience and have all of the tools so that they can not only bounce forward past their sucky moments and circumstances that many times are not in their control, but to fly forward. Mm, I love that. I love this flying forward and I'm really going to use that. I'm going to borrow that. So I love that. Yes, go for it. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you are beautiful. The work that you're doing in the world is beautiful. Thank you so much for being you and for sharing your magic with the world. You're helping and you're supporting and serving so many people. We will link to your incredible book and all of your magic in the show notes. Everyone go and get this book, read it, devour it, share it on social media, and let's help spread this message far and wide and support each other together. Let's all do this together because we are in this together. This isn't you know, something that we do on our own. Life is not meant to be done on our own. So let's support each other. Let's help each other. Let's love on each other. Let's get this book. Let's read it and share it with as many people as you possibly can. So good. What an honor, love. I love getting to sit with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here, beautiful. Lots of love. Wow, guys, seriously, wasn't that incredible? Her story, holy moly, I can't even imagine what losing three of the closest people to you would be like. But 
the way that she has transformed that and now is teaching people how to move past it is just so inspiring. So I want to encourage you guys to get her books, listen to her podcast, dive into all things Nita Bashan. And if you loved this conversation, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this conversation. I would absolutely love to hear your biggest key takeaways. So come on over and tell me. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there is someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.